Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. Now, talking about our pastors, Pastor Vincent, I feel, is like our United Nations pastor. How awesome was that? Three languages in church news. Um, pretty impressive. So, last week, uh, we ended our series in Ecclesiastes, and with the the end of one chapter means that we get to start a new one. And we, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to jump straight into a specific book of the Bible, but we are going to look at a character study. We're going to be looking at Simon Peter. Now, why study a biblical character at all? Well, we don't study a biblical character to follow their example. Uh, we'll find out that they are flawed and they are full of failures. But we do study them to find out what the Lord is doing in their lives and how he works. Uh, We'll see that. There'll be some aspects of their temperament and their character and their circumstances that we can relate to and learn from. But primarily the reason we open God's word is that we want to get to know Jesus more. So why specifically Simon Peter? Well, Simon Peter is one of the most relatable characters that you can meet. I mean, he's uh, transparent. You can see his, his virtues and his vices, his strengths and his weaknesses are on display for all to see, right? And I think there's something as we travel through this journey of Simon Peter, we're going to see something of ourselves uh, in him. I mean, Simon Peter was impulsive. Right, so they said he suffered from foot and mouth disease. The only time he opened his mouth was to change feet. And I can certainly relate to that. But he's a key figure uh, in the Bible, right? He walked with Jesus during Jesus' three years of earthly ministry. But he was also there during the first seven years when the church was born and, and how he influenced and was part of all that. So These events, those events during that 10-year period are what changed the world. I like to say those events turned the world the right way up. The world was wrong way, and Jesus came, and during those 10 years, he turned the world the right way up. And we're going to use Peter's life to look at those events, but we're also going to use those events to look at Peter himself. Uh, You know, Peter was just an ordinary man. There's nothing special about Simon Peter in and of himself. But he was a man who was completely transformed, completely changed by those events. But really, he was changed by the Lord Jesus. And it's true for us too. We are a bunch of ordinary men and women. There's nothing special in and of ourselves. But we too can be changed by those events. And we can be changed by the Lord Jesus. Now, Simon means reed. It means one who listens, but it can also mean reed, like a reed that you find by the river, right? And a reed is straight, it's upright, but it's easily swayed. When the wind blows, it's just, it's swayed very easily. And that's exactly what Simon Peter was. He was a man who was impulsive, he was talkative, uh, he was emotional, But he was easily swayed. Like in one circumstance, he would be different, and then he would change company and be with another group of people, and he would change again. Have you ever met people like that, right? They they can change so easily depending on who they're with. And Jesus comes along, and he changes this reed, one easily blown about, 
into a rock, into a rock. And only Jesus can do that. Now, today we're going to look at three things that Jesus said to Simon Peter. And we're going to be in the Gospels. We'll look at John 1, and then we'll be in Luke 5, and then finally Mark chapter 3. So have your Bibles out, and we're going to be moving through those. But the first time uh, Jesus spoke to Simon Peter, he was basically saying to him, let's change your name. Let's change your name. Now, I can relate to that. When uh, I lived in Hong Kong, when I first got there, uh, our church was hosting, we were doing a service in an aged care facility, and it was during Chinese New Year, and we were wearing all the traditional Chinese clothes, and uh, I was dressed in like this really bright yellow gold outfit that they have, and the pastor was busy announcing the team that was helping out that day. And of course, everyone had Chinese names. And then suddenly he got to me, and he's like, well, Graham's not going to work in this situation. So he looked at the clothes I was wearing, and he said, a gum. Now, you guys don't know what that means, do you? But a gum is Cantonese for gold, right? Uh, gum means gold in Cantonese. And he just looked at the clothes I was wearing. He says, there's gold. And from then on, I was known as Goldie. That was my name. Wherever I went, I would introduce myself as Gum or Gummy or Gummy Bear. It just became all these sorts of names. Uh, but people would meet me, and I'd tell them my Chinese name, and then they would start laughing. They would like, you gold? No way. We know you. You can't be gold. But anyway, it stuck. And uh, I think it's very similar to Simon Peter. At least I can relate to him in that way. So when Simon was a young man, there was this buzz in Israel, right? God had not spoken in about 400 years, and suddenly there's this Baptist evangelist on the scene. Sorry, I had to get that in there. Uh, there's this Baptist evangelist called John, and he's on the scene, and he's calling people, repent, because the kingdom is at hand. And he's baptizing, he's dunking people in the River Jordan to have their sins wiped away. And the crowds are coming out to see this ministry of John the Baptist, uh, including Simon and his brother Andrew. And John is preaching. He said, I am not the Christ. I am preparing the way for the Christ. Now, for us, that might not be the most exciting thing to hear. But for Jewish listeners who had been waiting and waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, this was amazing news. There was this excitement. He's here. He's finally coming. And probably a few days later, uh, they were probably still attending meetings around the River Jordan. And Andrew pushes through the crowd. He's looking for his brother. And he finds Simon. He grabs him by the arm. And he says, Simon, we found him. We found the Messiah. Come on, Simon, let's go. Let's, let's, I'll introduce you to him. I've been, I've been talking to the Messiah. You know, this moment was so memorable. It was so ingrained in their minds that 60 years later, they could remember the exact hour at which this took place. You know, when we first meet Jesus, what a moment it is. And really, this was the moment that changed Peter's life. And Jesus looked at Simon. Now, Jesus didn't look at people like we do. We tend to look at people on the outside, and we go, oh, that's a funny-shaped nose, or, oh, my goodness, why are you wearing yellow, shiny clothes? We'll call you gum. You know, we look on the outside, but Jesus doesn't look like that. He looks 
at the inside. He looks through people. Not so much at their face, but at their heart. And Jesus looked at Simon and he looked straight through him. And he could see both the person he was, but he could also see the person he could be. You know, when Jesus looks at anyone's life, he's able to see two people. He's able to see the person who is, but he's also able to see the person they could be. And there's often this huge gap between the two, right? We can't always see that. And, and what we tend to do is, is sadly, we, we just look at the, the person who is, and we don't see them as the person they could be. And, and we can tend to write people off because of this. But when Jesus looked at Simon, he saw two people. And this is what he said. He said, you are Simon. But I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to call you Cephas or Peter. And Peter means rock or stone, right? It is strong. It's stable. It's firm. It's everything that a reed isn't. It kind of reminds me of that movie Jumanji. I don't know if you've seen it. If you've got parents, you'll know the movie Jumanji, right? So there's this in real life, these characters are not really anything significant. They're kind of scrawny, not like nerdy a little bit. But then they go into this world of Jumanji where they change into these characters and they, they literally become The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson. It's like this awesome transformation that takes place. And when Jesus looks at your life, he sees everything that's already there. You can't hide anything from Jesus. You know, we, we can hide stuff from other people, but you can't hide anything from Jesus. He sees everything. And he looks at Simon, and he says, yes, you are Simon. You're a reed. You're weak. You're unreliable. You're emotional. You're impulsive. You're talkative. You're Simon. But I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to call you Peter, because from now on, you are going to be different. And I wonder, if, do you realize what Jesus sees when he looks at you? Called Nikki Cruz. Now, Nikki Cruz uh, was a gang member of the Mau Mau's in New York City in the 1950s, and he was known for his cruelty, his violence, his toughness. And he was given all sorts of horrible nicknames to describe the things that he did. And one day, a preacher came to New York City. And he saw Nicky, and he went up to him, and he told him about Jesus. He told him about the gospel, that he could be changed. He responded by slapping him through the face, knocking him to the ground, and said, Preacher man, if you ever come to me again, and you say that again, I will kill you. A few days later, this preacher saw him again, went up to Nikki and said, Nikki, I want to tell you about Jesus, about a man who died on the cross for you, who gave his life for you. And Nikki responded exactly the same way he had two days before. He slapped him to the ground and he said, this time, preacher man, one more warning and you're dead. You're dead. Don't speak to me like that again. A few days later, this preacher, his name was David Wilkinson, he organized a meeting where he was going to be preaching the gospel in New York City. 
And Nikki and his gang members heard about this, and their intention was to go to this meeting to disrupt, to cause violence, to destroy what was going on there. And they came along with weapons in their pockets, planning to do this violence, and they got there, and they began to listen. David preached the gospel about this man, Jesus, who gave his life for sinners. And by the end of his message, Nikki was a changed man. He was a changed man. He was so changed that he got his gang members to go around and take up a collection and gave it to David. They then went to the police station and handed in their weapons. They turned over all their weapons. The police couldn't believe it. These were the Mau Maus. And then they were handing over their weapons. You know, Nicky Cruz has traveled the world preaching the gospel. He went back. He preached to gang members. He's seen many saved. But you know what he's known for? His tenderness, his softness, his kindness. That's what he's known. Look at that face. That's him, right? Would you think he's a former gang member? Like you'd trust your kids with him. That's what Jesus did. Totally changed him. You see, Jesus not only sees two people when he looks at you, he knows how to change one person into another. You see, Jesus met James and John, <laughs> and they already had a nickname when he met them. That was Boangers, which means sons of thunder. These guys had a reputation for blowing up. They had a reputation for having a short fuse and being angry, would fly off their handle at people. That was their reputation. And yet Jesus could look at James and John. He could look at John and he could see the beloved apostle. John is known as the apostle of love. Jesus could see that. So Jesus, from that moment, he says, you are Peter, you are a rock. And you can kind of imagine Peter, it's like, okay, I'm the rock. And he's walking home, and he's, he's, he's going through Galilee, and he, and he gets home, and he opens the door, and there's mom and dad, and they go, hi, Simon. And he turns around, and he says, no, mom and dad, from now on, call me Peter. Call me the rock. I, I don't know, I kind of have this scene. I, don't, I hope it's not. But imagine you have a child, and they've got like a pretty fancy name, like something like Reginald or something like that. And Reginald walks in the door, and you say, hi, Reginald, how are you going? And he turns around to you, and he says, mom and dad, don't call me Reginald anymore. Call me Rambo. <laughs> you wouldn't, like, that's the change that is taking place. That was the first time Jesus spoke to Simon Peter. The second time Jesus spoke to Simon Peter, we find that story in Luke 5. We're going to go through those first few verses, but... We're going to find, Jesus says to Simon Peter, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. So, classic night for fishermen. They'd been out, but this time they'd caught nothing. They'd worked the whole night, and they'd caught nothing. They were tired. The fish are not biting, and they slowly, daybreak, they're coming back towards Capernaum, and they see this big crowd that's gathered, and they kind of row into this horseshoe bay, which made, would have made a perfect amphitheater and they're straining to see, who, who is it? Why are the crowd there? And then they see this man preaching to the crowd. And it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that's the Messiah. He's preaching. So they kind of park their boats, and they want to join the crowd and listen. And Jesus walks over, and he says, Simon, could I, could I borrow your boat? 
And Simon Peter's like, Messiah wants to use my boat? Of course. And Jesus jumps in the boat, and they paddle a little way out, and there Jesus has this perfect pulpit to preach to the crowd. And it says this, when Jesus had finished preaching, he turned to the guys in the boat, and he said, let's go fishing. This is what he says in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever tried telling a fisherman how to fish? Right? They're not so welcoming of their advice. He has a fisherman and a carpenter's telling him how to fish. Right? I can just imagine the old Simon Peter, he would, he would have probably said something, and he's like, listen, you know, I know you're pretty good at the preaching thing, but leave the fishing thing to me. But he doesn't, right? There's this, this moment where you can almost imagine Simon Peter's wrestling with this, but he surrenders. This is the first time he's put the situation in the Lord's hands. And extraordinary things happen. He calls Jesus master, it's the first moment of surrender. Now, the thing is, it's broad daylight. The fish don't bite during broad daylight. And secondly, the fish are now in the shallows of the Galilee, not in the deep water. And Jesus says, let's go fishing. It's not the right time of day. It's certainly not the right place to go. Let's go to the deep. It's not good advice. In the natural, this is not good advice. It's almost the opposite of good fishing time. But listen to how Simon answered. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I will let down the nets. Guys, sometimes the Lord will ask you to do crazy things. Things that don't necessarily make sense. But it's this test of our faith to see whether we will say, Master, because you say so. Because you say so, I will do it. You know, I, I think for my family and I, this test came when we were in Hong Kong. I was working for the government. I, I enjoyed my job. We were very comfortable. We were well-connected in our church. We loved our church. But we felt this, this urging from the Lord to move to Australia. It didn't make sense, right? And we had nothing to go to. There was nothing planned. We just knew we were going to go move to this strange country where they speak funny. Sorry. <laughs> but you, it's true. Okay, so there's this, this country we don't know the culture really, but we felt called to go. And we said, Lord, because you say so. Because you say so, we'll trust you. Now, I'd, I'd like to pretend that we were always full of faith, that we never doubted. That's not true. There were moments when we thought, what are we doing? Is this the right thing? But you know what? Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. He's done extraordinary things. And he does extraordinary things in this moment. Suddenly, the nets are breaking and the boat is sinking, right? Completely filled with fish. And Peter couldn't cope with the situation, right? I don't know if you've ever felt like that, that you're in a situation where you, you just couldn't cope with it. And you become afraid, but you, you become afraid up here. 
mentally, right? You start thinking it through. And, and Peter's thinking this. He's like, Lord, you, you're going to wreck the nets. You're going to sink the boat. My, my whole fishing business is going to be ruined. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? We've caught nothing, and now we've got all this. You see, Peter realizes something's happening here, and this is not natural. It is not natural. It is supernatural. And people tend to get afraid when the supernatural happens. There's something we just can't really cope with the supernatural. And then Simon Peter, when he realizes, he becomes afraid. But he becomes afraid here, morally. Morally, he's convicted. And, and it is interesting how when God's at work, you often see that people become afraid morally. Right? We know that as the conviction of the Spirit. But this is what Simon Peter says in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He didn't turn around and say, Jesus, thanks for all the fish. That was great. Nice job. We can do great things with the fish we're going to sell. No, Simon Peter's response is fear. And in the boat, in front of his friends, he drops on his knees and he says, Jesus, just get out the boat. Get away from me, please. I, I can't cope with this kind of thing. Get away from me, for I'm, I'm sinful, oh Lord. You see, I, I believe in that very moment, Simon Peter realized that he was a sinner. He knew how bad he really was. He knew that Jesus could see straight through him, could see all the things that he had done, all the things he had thought, all the times he had swayed from one side to the other. And he realizes just not only how, how true and bad he is, but he realizes how holy and righteous Jesus is. And, and he says, I can't be in your presence. I can't be with you knowing what I'm like. But you know what I really love? I really love how Jesus answers Simon Peter. Now I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I can imagine it's something like this. All right, Peter, I'm going away. But will you come with me? Will you come with me? He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, when Jesus speaks to a sinner, he makes both a demand and an offer. Demand is, follow me. The offer is, I will make you. I will make you. I will change you into something. See, those are the two sides of the gospel. The gospel is a demand. It demands not that we follow a system, not that we follow a church, but that we follow Jesus. And there's this demand that we follow him all the way, not half-heartedly, not half of the way. No, we follow him all the way. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't ask us to do that without him right there. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. That is a beautiful thing. Follow me and I will make you. What an offer. You know, I just love the confidence Jesus has. He looks at Simon Peter and he doesn't go like, oh, wow, that's, that's really tough tough subject material I have to work with here. Like, I'll try to make you, Simon. You've got some potential. No, Jesus is so confident. He says, I will make you. I will make you. 
into fishes of men. See, only the creator who, who made people in the first place could possibly promise to make them again. And that was the second time Jesus spoke to Peter. Now we get to the third time Jesus spoke to Peter, and it's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. We'll look at verses 13 to 19. And his challenge to Peter is here, let's go deeper. You see, this is now a really exciting time. Jesus, uh, Peter's following Jesus, and the crowds are coming. There are these miracles that are being performed, and, and Peter's relationship with Jesus is changing. He's, he started off calling him the Christ, the Messiah. Then he's called him the Master, and then he's called him Lord. Lord. So all this is changing, right? And the crowds are there. This is great. And then Jesus throws this curveball, and he says, I'm going to leave the crowd, and I'm going to go up into the hills. This is what it says in verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And Simon Peter was one of those who went up after Jesus. He followed him. And you can kind of imagine Jesus going all the way up to the mountain, and you've got this, this group following him. He gets there, he turns around, and they all sit down. And he says, now, those of you who followed me up here, I'm going to choose just 12 of you, and I have a very special task for you. This is what it says in verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. There's two aspects to what he said there, two parts of the task. Number one, I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me. And number two, when you spend time with me, then I'm going to send you out to preach and have authority. In other words, Jesus is saying, right now, I'm going to change direction. I'm going to concentrate on just you 12. Right? I'm going to leave the crowd, and I'm just going to focus on you 12. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in, in having the biggest fan club or having the biggest crowd. He wanted disciples. You know, it's not a great PR move. You've got the crowds listening to you. You've got all this influence. It's not sort of the best PR move to go, oh, no, you know what, I'm just going to take 12. But Jesus was the master strategist. He knew that if he invested his life in these 12s, the ministry would multiply. Jesus is basically saying to these 12, listen, I want to bring you out of your jobs I want to bring you out of the world. I want you to be with me. I want you to spend all your time with me. I want you to watch me. I want you to eat with me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to talk with me. I want you to work with me. And then when, when you've seen what I've done and you've learned what I do, then I'm going to send you out to do the same. Guys, this is discipleship. This is discipleship. It is about doing life together, learning, studying, seeing, doing, and then going out and doing it yourself. You see, he looked around, and that third time, he looked at Peter, and he said, Simon, you're the first. You're the first. Come and join me. What a moment, right? I mean, Simon, I want you. I'm going to take James. I'll take John, and we'll have your brother, Andrew, too. Isn't that interesting, right? Andrew found Jesus first and said, come on, Simon, let's go and meet the Messiah. And yet, when Jesus is choosing, he chooses Simon first. 
so he continues. He says, like, I'm going to have a tax collector. Matthew, come along and want you. And you, you kind of look at this group. He's got this group assembled. You've got a tax collector, a collaborator, a trader, a zealot who's only known. He, all he wants to do is kill for his, his country, right? And Jesus is like, this is the group I'm going to have. We'll, we'll throw in Thaddeus, Bartholomew, Philip. He's got 11. And you can kind of imagine this moment. I, I don't know how Jesus must have felt knowing what was going to happen, but he looks at Judas Iscariot, and he says, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll have you as well, knowing what would happen. But why, why 12? <laughs> why does Jesus choose 12? Well, in order to start a synagogue, you needed at least 10 men. And Jesus, I'm sure knowing what he was doing, he knew that he would lose one, but he started a synagogue, right? And from then on, they started calling him rabbi, which is a Jewish teacher, because he had gathered this synagogue around him, and he was a teacher of Jewish men. But I leave a more important reason why he chose 12 was because if you go right back to the beginning of Israel, there were 12 brothers, 12 sons of Israel, and they had begun the 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus, in choosing 12 men, says, you know what, we're starting again. We're going to start a new humanity. We're going to make all things new. We are going to take broken people, tax collectors, traders, and we are going to make a new humanity. The world is going to see my grace at work through these 12 men. So Jesus starts this new race, this new humanity. But Simon Peter was the first to be chosen. And you can imagine in this moment, Simon has no idea what lies before him. I mean, he's got no idea that actually it's going to bring great glory to his name, right? His fame has spread all around the world. For the last 2,000 years, people have heard about Simon Peter. Even today in little old Adelaide at City Reach, we're hearing about Simon Peter. You know, I, I don't think in that moment Simon Peter knew that Jesus said, hey, one day in the heavenlies, I'm going to have a gate. There'll be 12 gates, and one of those gates, it's going to be made out of this gigantic pearl, and it's going to have the name Peter on it. And anyone who comes in and out of this gate will always see the name Peter. I don't think Peter had any idea about that. But here's the thing. I don't think any of us realize when Jesus calls us what he has in store for us. But here is the thing. There is no crown without a cross. See, the path to glory lies directly through the valley of suffering. You see, because Simon Peter... He didn't know in that moment, but he was going to go to prison because of this choice. He was going to be on trial for his life because Jesus chose him. He was going to be executed as a common criminal because Jesus chose him. You know, in fact, if you look at those 12 and you think, oh, I would love to have been chosen, well, out of those 12, one committed suicide, only one, only one died in his old age. The other 10 were all martyred for their faith. They were all killed. You see, Peter wouldn't have known any of that. But he would come to realize that he has to walk the road of suffering through to glory. 
But here's the thing I need you to hear. Is that both those things will be shared with Jesus. He tells us, right, when we're, when we're baptized, he says, you, you, you share my death. You share my burial, but you're also going to share my resurrection. You know, we will share the cross with him. And we will also share his crown. What we have to look forward to one day is just this beautiful, heavenly radiance with him. We're going to sit with him on thrones. But right now, right now, he says to us, church, go out and preach the gospel. Preach the good news of the kingdom. So church, as we come to the end of chapter one of Simon Peter, I think there's three questions we need to ask ourselves. Have you come to that point where your name's been changed? When you realize that you are a new creation, that Jesus looks at you and he sees the person that you were intended to be, and that he is making you completely new. You know, there's this beautiful verse, in, uh, it comes from Revelation chapter 2, and Jesus is writing to his churches, and this is what he says. He goes, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna, and then hear this. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. I have a, I have a whitish stone here. Don't worry, I'm not going to throw it at anybody. But I want you to imagine what Jesus has promised you is that one day he's going to give you a white stone. And you're going to pick it up and you're going to look at it and on it is going to be a name. And you're going to read that name and you're going to be like, oh, Jesus, you knew me. You knew me, right? This is just between us. You knew exactly who I was intended to be. It's kind of like that moment, I don't know, where you, you kind of meet someone who's very respectable and, and outside everyone calls them doctor or mister or something. And then you go into their home and his wife sees him and she calls him, hi, poopsie. You know, there's this, there's this intimacy between them. There's this name that they, just that they share. And I believe that's what it's going to be like. Jesus is like, I know you. I know what I have planned for you. Here, yeah, have a look. And we're going to keep that stone. That's going to be precious. Another question we have to ask ourselves is, are we following Jesus? Are we really following Jesus? Not just halfway, not just a little way, not just a little bit of our lives, not just on a Sunday, but are we following Jesus? Because he's promised to make us something. He's promised to do something with our lives if we are. And I believe it's a greater question for us as a church. City Reach, are we following Jesus? Are we being all that he wants us to be? Because he says he will make us fishers of men. He will use us to, to reach out into this world to tell them the good news of the gospel. But are we following him? I think the third question he has for us today is, are you prepared to go deeper? Are you prepared to go deeper? You know, one of our, our biggest desires is, is we want the crown, right? We, we desire the crown and we, we also desire comfort. 
And I guess it's one of our biggest temptations is that it's so easy for us to be comfortable. But that's not what Jesus wants for us. He says, yes, there will be a cross, but it will be so worth it. There will be a cost to say, yes, Jesus, we we will follow you. We will be what you want us to be. There will be a cost to that. There will be a path of suffering. But here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever really met someone who's suffered for Jesus, but I find that those who have just have this beautiful relationship with him. They've shared in his sufferings, but yet they are filled with life because they know him. They know him. Church, I believe the Lord's calling us, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's not just be satisfied with a three out of 10 spiritual life. He's called us so much more. He's called us to be salt and light in this world. We're called to radiate who he is. We're called to be a fragrance in this world, a fragrance of life. Let's be that, church. Let's be that. And we can never be that on our own. We can only be that when we're walking and we're following him. Church, will you stand with me and let us pray? Father God, we stand before you as your children. We stand before you as those who who have been called. Father, I I thank you for Simon Peter and showing us through his life what you can do with nobodies, with broken, flawed people, and how you can mold them into people who are tender and loving, and kind, and gracious, and merciful. Lord, I thank you for reminding us today that you are still at work, that you are full of grace and truth. Lord, I I thank you for reminding us of the call and the purpose you have for us as a church and as a people. But Lord, I thank you mostly for that cross, that cross that reminds us that you came and you died for sinful men. You redeemed us, Lord, at a great cost to yourself. Lord, I thank you that on that cross was the ultimate display of love, that you call us your own, that you give us your righteousness, that you call us to a life far beyond what we could ever dream or imagine for ourselves because we get to walk with you. Lord, I pray, remind each and every one of this week as we go out, remind us that you are with us and that you will make us into what you want us to be. I pray that we would have a heart, that I would have a heart of surrender to your ways. And Lord, I pray that you give us life in your ways. Father, we call on you for mercy. We call on you for guidance. We call on you for counsel. But Lord, right now, we want to say we love you. We thank you for your promises, Lord Jesus. We choose to rest in those promises alone. Amen.